Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Shot by Shot. This is Sean. This is Kevin. And we have a magical episode for you today with a very, very special guest. Kevin, who do we have? We have the amazingly talented Lois Van Barl, aka Loish. She is an amazingly talented, I, 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 you know, you use that term amazingly, <laughs> I, I, but this is true. Like this is one of those really bits. Like, she's such an incredible artist with a, a great background from toy design, character design for Lego. She's worked on in video game industry, um, uh, animation. She's just an amazing uh, artist and unlike any that we've had on our, uh, the show before. Yeah, so the interesting thing is that this podcast has me, it has you, Kevin, and it has Brian, and we are all veterans of comic books. And so we are very much keyed into those avenues and those fandoms. And, and someone like Lois, who does something very similar, and she wouldn't be out of place next to America and Dolfo or a Babstar. And then she comes and she's like, no, I have spread my wings creating these lush character designs and this lush sequential art. And, you know, we've seen those works, like you said, Lego, and she's worked for Blizzard, for Amazon. But she's also kind of ascended to be this patron saint of aspiring animators and artists. And her patron, it just, you can see people flock to it just to see what she has to say. She's so, she's almost so maternal in that sense of being able to explain how to approach this with a degree of nurturing and confidence that you don't experience often, especially in art school. She uh, she is a singular voice in the industry. Yeah, it's really impressive that um, you know, she's built a huge following on the social media platforms, especially Instagram. and, and But it's based, mostly based because she engages with her fans. She teaches them the tricks that she knows. She has the videos, she runs the Patreon, but she's giving you know real lessons that are helpful to artists. And uh, you know, that, it's kind of unique. I mean, like, I, I don't know, I'm sure there are people that did it before, but she did it really, really well and continues to, to, to be that voice and uh, has just garnered an amazing following because of how much she does give back to, to young aspiring artists. So this podcast is pretty technical as far as that's concerned. If you're somebody who, illustrator, you're looking to spread your wings and become more commercial, or you're curious about the industry at large, this is a great starting point. You have Brian Stelfreeze. He's our friend and he's our co-host, but let's be honest, he's, he's iconic too. He's an innovator in the field between his Batman covers when I was a child to what he's done with Black Panther and beyond for Thomas River. In conversation with Loish, it's two different sides of the same coin and that there's a lot of information to glean, whether it's color theory whether it's marketing, whether it's any sort of approach to growing into yourself, this is a great podcast for that. Yeah, so uh, let's get out of the way and get this sucker started. Absolutely. Here's Lois Van Barrel. Um, I'm drinking lemon ginger tea. Okay. Yeah, man. Just well, very it's, hydrating. It's, yeah, it's, it's refreshing. It's a, ginger, it's a very ginger day because I'm, uh, I'm drinking ginger kombucha uh, for, Ooh, uh, for today. That sounds really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, I have I have ginger kombucha, and um, you know, sort of for you, I actually have uh, guava uh, kombucha because mm. it's it's almost magenta pink, and that seems to be one of your signature colors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so yeah. cool. That sounds tasty. <laughs> oh, it 
is, it is, it is. Uh, and uh, and uh, speaking of uh, magenta, um, one of the things that, that I wanted to kind of uh, talk to you about, which is, and, and this is kind of a, a weird uh, road trip question, but, uh, but I was um, watching a program on the Impressionists. And what was interesting, I thought, was uh, this person doing the documentary attributed a lot of the colors that the Impressionists used to the fact that paints were newly available in tubes. Because these uh, painters didn't have to spend all this time mixing their paints, um, and particularly a lot of those brighter colors, which were uh, a, a bit fugitive, they were allowed to, because of that technology of two paints, they were actually allowed to use brighter colors. And the color, the painters before them, a lot of the Dutch painters and a lot of the, uh, the Renaissance painters, they had a boon because of ultramarine. And, you know, because they could use ultramarine, they went nuts with the ultramarine. And now the Impressionists, because of this new technology of tube colors, they went nuts with all these new colors. And, um, and looking at your work, one of the things that kind of came to mind is for you, digital offers us another level of colors that pigments don't. And, uh, and I, was, I was wondering um, how much does working in RGB affect your color choices rather than having to work in, CM, in the CMYK limitations of pigment? Uh, that has a huge impact on my color choices because like I choose colors purely um, based on my intuition. Um, mm. I've never really learned formal color theory and like around the time that I was learning how to draw, like when I was learning the most really uh, about my current style, um, whenever I mixed paints in real life, it just all turned out brown. <laughs> I didn't really figure out the tricks. I couldn't, couldn't make it work. You know, it always turned into like a purpley brown. Um, but digital was like just the, the way for me to choose colors and also find out just simply by looking what works and what doesn't. And, and I really like my whole process is super dependent on like just putting down a random color and then using color editing tools to change them until, oh, wow. until it feels right. And it kind of feels like searching for a certain pitch. You know, you just kind of like slightly move stuff around until the pitch is right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. how I approach color. Um, and that's, that's really every, everything I know about color comes from, well, making studies, but also like just experimenting with what comes up on the computer. And the funny thing is like a lot of digital artists are super picky about like the colors being just right. Um, and then when it gets printed that it's like mixed, like is exactly the way that they had it on their perfectly calibrated screen. But like, I, I don't have that issue as much because for me, colors are purely relative, you know, they're, yeah. they're the, it's the, the way that they relate to one another. So if the whole color scheme is slightly shifted in a print or on a different screen, it's okay as long as the relationships are still intact, you know, like that they still have the same yeah. contrast. So that's how I look at color. Okay, and uh, and and something else that, that I think that that sort of brings me to is uh, is like I, I think 
if if I were to attribute something that I say is purely your style, um, I would say your style is derived from your experiments with light. You know, I can I can always recognize one of your pieces, not necessarily because of the way that you draw, because I think you have a lot of deviation in the way that you draw, but I think the way that you portray light is is very sort of synonymous with what you do. And, uh, and I think um, one of the things that, that I'm always fascinated by when I look at your stuff is, again, those colors that only exist in RGB space, those colors are colors that describe light. And the colors that exist in CMYK space are oftentimes the colors, the colors that display the absence of light. Um, so your your work is always about these like sort of bounce light coming in, side light coming in, or something illuminating like you know sort of one of the girls' hair illuminating the image, and uh, and and that's the thing that I'm always fascinated by is, is just these light experiments first, and them being described by these like crazy RGB colors. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I've never really thought about it, but like when you're drawing on a screen, you've got like so much illumination in the screen already. You've got like the screen literally glowing. And I try to use that to, to you know, to maximize the brightness. And when I, yeah. I, don't, I don't have a lot of experience with traditional tools. Last, last October, I, I uh, decided to try a different painting medium each month. And I did notice that it's like really hard on paper to try and get like the luminosity right. Cause if you paint white, it it is actually more like off white and it catches the light yeah. in a certain way that doesn't glow as much, right? So you kind of have to use the paper as your brightest tone um, if it's like a white paper. Uh, and I really, you know, I struggled with getting the same degree of luminosity and on a screen, the luminosity is there when you start. So I've never really thought about it, but <laughs> yeah. yeah that, it's like it's like you start with a flashlight aiming yeah, at your eyes. <laughs> exactly. And and you can really use that to create intensity um, that's harder to achieve with traditional paint. Yeah, and 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 that's that's one of the things that um that I, I have to say as as a person who started traditionally and moving into digital, that's um that's one of the things that um that I find um you know, I, I get envious about is just naturally being able to um, move into that luminosity. Um, and and even now, when I when I um, when I paint things, I'm always kind of like, oh man, oh that fuchsia looks great, but I'm not sure if it's gonna print. So let me pull yeah. back on it. Um, but uh, but but clearly, you do not care. <laughs> and and. Uh, yeah. and and just just put the stuff down and uh and and i guess because uh a lot of your stuff uh with the exception of sketchbook stuff that you're doing um and uh and your art book a lot of your stuff exists in um an rgb uh in uh environment so, uh, so i think that's, that's really that's really awesome that that to a certain extent rather than pigment being your medium light becomes your medium and yeah. your dynamic yeah, range is like crazy. Yeah, the, and the, it makes the possibilities a lot um, broader for me because that's that's really important for my process to like feel like 
I have unlimited uh, options because when there's limitations, I freak out and I'm like, oh no, this is failing. Especially when I'm painting, I'm like, okay, I've already uh, covered too much paper and I can never go back. Like I can never get the yeah. paper showing again, <laughs> yeah. you know, point of yeah. no return, like creates a lot of stress. So I, I try to stick, but for me, yeah, my art definitely just exists in the digital realm. And then if it goes, if it ends up in a book or if it ends up printed, that's a translation of the art into a traditional, yeah. like into a real life thing. But the original is digital to me. And and I, yeah. I distribute my art mostly digitally through social media and on my site. And so that's for me, like how it's meant to be viewed. Yeah, yeah. The the original is 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 a screen item rather yeah. than uh, a, a paper, or uh, which is which is kind of strange to me because oftentimes um, I'll do an original on a piece of paper, and there's something to that original that no scan is able to capture. Yeah. So what ends up happening on screen? Uh, ends up being a ghost of that original. Um, and I guess you're the reverse of that. <laughs> you yeah. know, what happens in that print ends up being a ghost of the original, which is a, a, a screen uh, item. And, uh, and yeah. I, I really I really think that's um that's 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 kind of kind of fascinating and uh, and and it makes me kind of realize that that I'm looking at you the same way a lot of the traditional painters must have been looking at the impressionists, <laughs> you know, kind of going, ah, those kids and their bright colors. But I'm really intrigued by it. I, I think it's, um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really awesome. And, uh, and, and while I'm onto that, uh, something that I think is, uh, is cool in uh, in looking at your stuff, is um, that your influences are invisible, and and I, and I think what what I, what I mean by that is that I think you're you're a real cool example of, of fusion, where you're not the sum of your influences, but you're taking those influences on, but then they vanish within what you do. And, and I, I, know, I know that there's some, some manga in there. I know that there's some Disney in there. Um, but when I look at the body of your work, I also see some John Singer Sargent and some, you know, sort of uh, Albert Zorn and, uh, and the, uh, with the light experiments um, that you're doing. Um, I see, you know, a lot of like of the uh, a lot of the Dutch uh, painters. You know, I see, um, you know, just a, a lot of a lot of these, and and, and even with the um, the way that you design your pieces, that's pure nouveau without looking anything like nouveau. <laughs> so so it's a uh, it's 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 crazy. I mean, um, how you're managing to not wear your influences, but actually sort of deconstruct them and turn it into something else yeah that's that's a huge compliment thank you so much <laughs> it's, it's a it's it's just it's just something that um that i like that your stuff uh does and uh, and it's 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 strange for me to to see these impressionist brushstrokes 
you know, on this almost Disney-esque, you know, kind of yeah. kind of work. But it, it really belongs there. Um, and is um, is that something that uh, that you were taught, or is that something that you're just kind of figuring out as you go? I think that it has a lot to do with. Um, you know, that my influences kind of all seem to hit me at the same time. Oh, like I wow. had a certain, yeah, I had a certain phase where I was suddenly like seeing the world differently, I guess, and became super inspired, um, like hyper inspired. Um, I didn't get a lot of sleep during that time because I was like, I would do my homework. I was really studious, like a really a hardworking student. So my, you know, good grades were really important to me, but then I would also just draw all night. Um, I drew like every day on the computer and I had all these influences coming at me. And in the same kind of like short time span, I kind of discovered, you know, this manga style, especially the specific artists that really triggered something in me and um, sort of got back into Disney stuff and also discovered Art Nouveau, um, especially Alphonse Mucha's work. Oh and man, kind so of all of that like came down at once? <laughs> yeah, it sort of did. Well, I, th I don't think I realized it at the time, but when I look back on it, I can see, you know, that that was happening at the time. Um, especially when I talk about like the, the development of my art and presentations or lectures or something, I'm always like, yeah, and that was when I was 15. And I also discovered this when I was 15 and I also saw this when I was 15. And then I realized like everything happened when I was 15. I don't know why it just did. And, um, and I started drawing like obsessively, you know, and in that time, I really developed like the foundation of my workflow and my style. So things have changed a lot over time, of course, in how I work and what inspires me and how my art looks, but the, like I'd say like 80, 90% of these essential influences really were all tossed in a bowl at that time. And out of that came like the proto style that I still use. And, and also the way of looking at art, you know, the way of thinking about how to create drawings and characters. And, and I think that that's kind of what came out of it, you know? And then now I'm still always looking for ways to grow and observe and, and implement new influences, but they all go yeah. on the pile, you know, rather than like the, the foundation's already there. And, and I, and I stick to that. And that's, I think that's the art nouveau stuff that you're seeing and the more, and the Disney stuff and the manga stuff is really like that mix that, um, yeah, kind of defined how I work and how I think and is still super, like I still use it every time that I draw. And, yeah, and it's 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 really it's really kind of cool because that you know the way that you uh, paint, e even though it's it's uh, it's it's digital, you're you're using uh, brushwork to describe um, three dimensional form. Uh, so so it's kind of like this this very traditional approach to this digital medium. Uh, and, and I think it really gives a sense of, uh, of realism, even though the, uh, the, the characters uh, um, are very tuned out, uh, it still has that, um, that sense of, of weight, that sense of gravity to it. Yeah, that's always like a huge goal that I have when I'm drawing, I just want it to be, I said that recently, like I, I, I posted something uh, on Monday and I said that I'm always aiming for prime squishiness in my work. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to feel three-dimensional. That's something that I crave uh, in my art. It's like a, 
feeling that kind of drives me forward in my color choices and lighting choices. And I think that that's where like comparisons to other artists, like they tend to fall into the category of like having a similar goal as a different artist, you know? And I think like, you know, for example, Lion Decker is also a huge inspiration for me. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I can yeah he's got that obsession that with the squishiness, right? He's also <laughs> yeah. always making every form feel like you can grab it. And that's something that I also really uh, want to achieve in my work, mm, yeah. striving for. Yeah. And, and I think um, that um, that's, that's something that to me separates your work from uh, a lot of people um, doing um, cartoony um, Photoshop stuff is, uh, is your stuff. The, there's that sense of realism that exists in, uh, well, when, when you look at a person's face and, and there's texture everywhere and there's colors bouncing all over the place and, uh, and you never put a single color on anything. I mean, everything has like, you know, multiple colors. Like anytime you, you use blue, you'll always have purples and greens kind of bouncing around in there. And, uh, and I, I think that gives a, a, a texture to everything that really gives us a sense of, oh, this is real. You know, this is not like a painted thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, thank you. And yeah, I do actually literally, um, because I do a lot of like learning content for my Patreon. So I do a lot of like tutorials and um, stuff that helps them understand my process. And mm -hmm. honestly, like I'm not great at understanding my own process. I sort of like have to figure out what my process is on a rational level when I'm making those tutorials because I don't like work, you know, in a step-by-step -step manner. I just kind of follow my, my, my gut feeling. And one of those things is like, whenever there's a flat color, I just have to add some extra color to it. Like it's uh. compulsive, you know, it's like, I see it and I'm like, uh, how can I, how can I add a gradient to this? How can I add something like a second layer, just something to like get rid of the flatness, um, which is something that I didn't even realize that I did, you know, until I started thinking about those tutorials. <laughs> oh man. Well, it's, 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 it's really cool. And, uh, and I think uh, something else uh, just, in, in looking at the body of the work that you do, um, I think there's this uh, there's this thing that uh, that I think your your average person kind of thinks, so, oh, hey, I'd, I'd love to become an artist. That would be awesome. And they'll do like one drawing every couple of weeks and go, man, I really want to become a professional artist. And and I, I did a drawing this week. And then next week they'll do another drawing or months from now, they'll do another drawing and they hope to become a pro professional artist and they're always disappointed. But when I look at your work and, and actually even your career back, um, you know, when I used to look at your stuff on, on DeviantArt, I was just like, <laughs> like, this girl draws all the time, <laughs> you know, I mean, you literally produce hundreds of pieces a week. I mean, it's, it's just no. really insane. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, just little, little, little quick sketches and, and all the stuff. I mean, you, you do an insane amount of, uh, of, of work. And, uh, and at one point I heard um, that, uh, that you'd given yourself like carpal tunnel syndrome or tendonitis from, from just drawing so much. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay, well, then that means you're going to be successful. 
because you are so passionate about drawing and because you actually do it so much. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's what I attribute a lot of your success to is, is that you just, you just do it and you put it out there. Yeah, I do think that that has a lot to do, especially like with my kind of art that I make. Um, I'm very active on social media. It's a big part of what I do. And like relatability is a big part of what I do. So I try to like, um, because I started out on DeviantArt, that kind of audience stuck. And I still have a similar kind of audience today of fellow artists and other yeah. people also drawing and learning. So a lot of what I share is like kind of, hey, so I'm, I made some studies. Do you like to make studies? You know, and like kind of like, let's all talk about what we do and our creativity. And um, so that's, that's like kind of, um, that, that plays a role in my art. So I, 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 I usually think, cause you know, there's that phenomenon of like the best artists are, don't necessarily <laughs> have the most appreciation online. Like you see, <laughs> a really talented artist with just a, maybe a couple hundred followers or something. And then you see like a very mediocre artist, you know, of course everybody's opinion is different on that, but you see like lower skilled artists with like tons of people following them. And, and I, I've always thought about that because I never really understood why I have the following that I do because I don't think that it's always in proportion to my skill level. But I do think that a big part of that is the fact that I have consistently shared my art over time and people have seen it grow and change and develop. And that creates a kind of closeness to the work that like a kind of relatability because um, they've seen it, they've seen me grow and change and evolve. I get a lot of comments on everything that I post. There's always a few people who are like, I've followed you since the DeviantArt days, you know? And those are people who are basically <laughs> saying like, you know, you're still at it, good job, you know? And they think that it's just, they just like the fact that I've been consistent over time. And I think that plays a huge role in the appeal of my work. Like I, I don't think that like one single drawing that I've made stands out as much as just the whole body of it and how it's changed yeah. and evolved over time and how other artists can relate to it. Cause they're like, oh yeah, my work also changed over time. And oh yeah, I also came up with a character when I was a teenager and I still draw them sometimes. And there's that kind of like relatability factor um, and that, that's really important to me, but I do think it's, um, that carpal tunnel thing, you know, looking back on that didn't have as much to do with like the fact that I was drawing so much, but it had to do with the fact that I was drawing with the totally wrong mindset. Like I, I would get that, uh, kind of stuff when I was drawing for clients and I was terrified of messing up and disappointing my clients and, and not being good enough, uh, in, in a sort of new professional world that I had stepped into at that time. Cause it was the first time that I was getting big name clients. So I was like freaking out about it. And now I have zero issues, uh, with this, with, with a uh, pain in my arm or my shoulders because my mindset is totally different. Like, cause I, I feel less afraid to fail. Cause I've, I've made okay. so much art over time that I'm like, I've made plenty of bad drawings by now and shared them with the world and nothing really that bad happened as a result. So I, I can let it go. But I was like a little too afraid to fail at that time. Oh man. I was going to jump in and say, you know, something that's to me, uh, you know, I've been aware and I'll step back a little bit. There's a lot of people probably listening today that don't know anything about these, you know, this podcast because they follow you and they're going to check it out. We're, we're all kind of comic centric people. And, you know, but you are one of those artists that were, and I'm not a huge social media 
person. I, I was one of those, I'm 50, you know, I, I was kind of drugged to it because you, you got to do the social media stuff to promote your books. Um, but like, you know, I've been following you for years and it's amazing to me that, that you had the awareness. I don't know if, if you just sort of figured it out as you went, or if it was just natural to, you know, you basically cultivated an audience by being accessible showing all your, you know, so much work. I mean, every, you know, there's stuff happening every week, multiple times you're, you know, you communicate with your fans and then the, like the tutorials, uh, when you go to conventions and, and putting on instruction stuff, like, did that all come out of the audience growing and asking you for more? And you said, Hey, you know, I can help these people and it, it's fun for me. Or how, how did that happen? It was just, uh, I'm curious on that front. Yeah, definitely started with the audience because I started posting on DeviantArt when I was, yeah, I guess 15, that one year of my life where everything happened at the same time. <laughs> and I joined DeviantArt and um, posted on there. And I was like drawing on Okaki boards before, which were like a kind of drawing board where you could draw like super low res artwork. Um, it was really fun and low key. And there was already sort of a community, like a pretty active art community online at this time. And almost everyone was on DeviantArt. That was like really special. I don't think people who have not experienced those days of DeviantArt could get how that was to have all the artists in one place like that. Oh yeah, so it's like um, the early 2000s? Yeah, the early 2000s. Yeah, I joined in 2003. That okay. was like sort of when it started getting really popular. Um, and all the artists were there and, um, and I just, for me, it was just fun. You know, it was just something that I did for fun. Like all of my image titles are ridiculous, like word, like one of my first daily top favorite, like the first drawing that ended up on the front page, I called it R matey because I was really into pirates and it has nothing to do with the drawing, nothing at all. You know, like I didn't take anything seriously. Like it was all just for fun. And um, actually only, let's say, you know, I graduated uh, art school in 2009. And I'd say it was only around that time that I started taking social media seriously because I noticed that most of my job opportunities were coming in through people who browsed DeviantArt or who browsed, um, oh, wow. yeah, like whatever was available at that time really uh, and, and found my art, right? So all of my job opportunities were coming in through that. And then I realized like, oh, this is my income. Like this is how I can make a living. I was getting commissions through there as well. I didn't have any freelance work. So, so it was sort of like, like an open portfolio. Yeah, it was like I just organically managed to kind of monetize it without knowing that that was even a possibility. And now we live in an age where like influencer is is a job. It's like something you can be. And a lot of people are turning to social media as a source of income. But that was like not really a concept, you know, when I was starting out. So a lot of like my ideas about how I could build my career came naturally from the kind of input that I was getting from this audience um, that I had. So they were like, do you have a book out? Do you have a book out? Make an art book, make an art book. And I, that's why I started um, approaching publishers. And it actually took me like a really long time before I found a publisher that I could work with. Um, so it wasn't like it happened right away, but that idea was planted because people were reaching out and people were like, make tutorials. And I even have an old uh, journal entry on DeviantArt where like I, I am addressing people who are asking me to make a tutorial. And I'm like, I'm not gonna make one because 
why can't you just look it up yourself? Like, stop bothering me. And I also said like, <laughs> tutorials on this website are bad. I hate it. So leave me alone. It was like a very negative, like, I think I wrote it when I was like 18 or something. So I had like a really bad attitude. And I was just like trashing tutorials and saying like, don't ask me to make this crap. But then like, now I make a living off of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't even realize like the value of things like that until people started reaching out to me. And until I realized like, my connection with my audience is based on mutual interest and mutual experiences. And that's one of the best things that you can build an income on if you can, you know, if that's an option for you. Yeah, and there's part, probably you figured yeah. out a lot of that stuff on your own. So like, why would I share my secrets, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a I was a little more possessive over that stuff, but there were like a lot of like how to draw an eye tutorials and stuff that were like really, that I thought were not good enough. I was very snobby. I think cause I just started going to art school and I was like, my teachers had convinced me that manga and anime inspired styles were stupid. So, and of I was like internalizing yeah. that I was going through a process yeah. at the time. <laughs> well, well so, something else I think is, uh, is, is really cool, especially with, with the way that you handled uh, DeviantArt is um, it, it's almost like you, you found the Ready Player One cheat code in the game where you, you just did the work that you wanted to do the work that you were passionate about and then clients came to you rather than you going to the clients and doing the work that they want you to do. Um, so it, um, it really managed to make your style and what you were passionate about more desirable and not, uh, because I think a lot of artists when they get um, a job as concept person, as illustrator, as comic book artist, they end up having a lot of pressure on them to morph into a more populist style. Whereas you just kind of, on DeviantArt, you were just doing whatever you wanted and the clients kind of came to you. Yeah, I was very lucky because I think that a lot of like developments happening outside of DeviantArt, just like in the creative industry as a whole, um, you know, happened to come together at the right time for me because when I first started getting really big clients. So like before I started working with like Lego and Gorilla Games and stuff, before that I was just doing random jobs and it was all over the place. So most of it was kind of like artwork for Flash games, which is also like dead already. I can't believe it. But like at a certain time that was like a lot of low budget games were being made to play in your browser in Flash. And I was getting like random animation jobs, like short term stuff that was all over the place in terms of style and description. And like, it was all fun and interesting to do, but none of it was like really connecting that deeply with what I wanted to do, except for maybe the commissions that I was getting. And, um, and then I started getting the big clients and that was because like in 2013, there was like a huge surge in games and stories that were focused on female characters um that oh, wasn't really wow. happening before you know like there were of course there's always been the disney princess movies but suddenly there was an interest in stories with female characters that were like not princesses you know that were like human that had like a lot of depth to them or were like tough and strong and especially for the younger audiences i think people were 
starting to think like, okay, we need better role model characters for young girls to play. Um, so, and that's when I got involved in a lot of like uh, projects and stories and games. And that's still like for a large part, um, the kind of projects that I'm approached to work on. Um, and that is something that I just didn't know was possible. I just didn't know. Wow. It just started, suddenly came at me in 2013. It's probably brewing for a while before that, but like I wasn't aware when I graduated in 2009 that that would be a potential career path for me. Oh man, well, it's, 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 really, it's really cool. And I think it's um, when, when you're allowed to do what you wanna do um, rather than um, bending into like, you know, if, if you got a job at Disney, well, there's a house style and you need to like surrender your soul and yeah. <laughs> comply with the uh, with the uh, the house style, and it's uh it's it's really cool that, uh, and and I think what you're what you're doing now, uh, and and the early stuff on DeviantArt was more about drawing, but the stuff that you're doing now, it's it's like just of a whole, you know, it's 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 drawing, it's painting, it's uh, it's coloring, and and it's it's just something that's exclusively yours which i think is a is, is really cool and when a, when a client comes to you they're wanting what you do you know yeah yeah i'm really lucky in that sense that i get that that kind of opportunity um there's like much more of an organic sort of symbiosis between the work that i do and the work that a client is looking for because usually i end up on a client's like mood board or something you know um Ah, like a wow. new project and then they're like all right we can ask Lois to work on this and because of that it's usually a really good fit which is something that is a coincidence because initially I was thinking like you know I had like sort of a, a in terms of my art identity I had like kind of a split personality going on I had like my deviant art stuff that I did just for me and then I had like my professional work which is like my animation portfolio that I built up while going to animation yeah. school and later on the sort of freelance jobs that I had. So I had like two sides, you know, I had like the one that could do the work and adapt to like different type of briefs and type of styles. And then I had this person who was just making stuff for fun. And I wanted to do that just for me because I couldn't, you know, get people on board uh, at that time. I couldn't get my teachers on board and a lot of like you know, I couldn't get like, I couldn't find those clients who were interested in that stuff until later. And I think because I kept it just for me, like I'm really lucky that I was able to keep, to make a living off of it. But because I did it just for me, it, it stayed my own thing. And it's still something that I can build on now. I always um, tell people that, um, that when you go to art school, you don't go to art school for style, you go to art school for foundation because Foundation is timeless, but um, yeah. style, uh, that's just something uh, of the time. And I always consider art school approximately 10 to 20 years behind the time. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, that's so, definitely true. Yeah, a lot of the instructors that are in art school, it's just like, okay, you're correct. Ten years ago, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, and I feel like now it's even, even speeding up even more because like, <laughs> the the creative industry is is developing like at an exponential rate. Like things are different now than they were yeah. five years ago already. It's crazy, um, which makes the teachers even more behind. I think. And I and I I, I always think it's um it's it's weird when when teachers try to make 
commentary on style. And, and they really shouldn't do that. They should, they should kind of go, this is a foundation. Uh, let me teach you how colors work. Let me teach you how anatomy works or whatever, because those things are never gonna change. Um, yeah. and, and I think every, every artist kind of needs those things. But, uh, but like for some reason, art instructors love to jump in there and, and say things like, well, manga will never work. <laughs> you know? yeah. And all this stuff, and this is like, well, it, it wasn't working when you were in the exactly. professional industry, but it's it's working now, you know. So um, so it's uh, way too many people have had bad experiences uh, in in art school because uh, I think an instructor stepped over the bounds uh, just a just a little bit too much. Yeah, it definitely. I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, that I, you know, I do think that my instructors wanted to push me to get out of my comfort zone because I know that this is like a reaction that my art often evokes in people. Like people look at it and they're like, well, it looks good. You're skilled, but you can do more. And that's, that's what most people feel when they see my work. Um, and my teachers had that too. They were like, okay, well, you've nailed this whole colorful girl thing. So what else are you going to do? And I think that they really wanted me to get out of that comfort zone and explore other things and try to go like a level deeper, you know, try to move past what I had already kind of figured out and get into some, some more like, you know, unfamiliar waters, but they did. So, I you know, I think they really sensed that I was somebody that wanted to do good and really was yeah. super motivated, you know, to like be the best student of the class and they they did that by kind of yeah pretty much trashing what I do you know and I they succeeded I did move out of my comfort zone but it was sort of at the cost of my self-esteem you know what I mean so I wonder like is it worth it if you if you put down people's self-esteem like what's more important that people stay that their art is maybe not as excellent as it could be but they have their mental health intact isn't it the better uh option there is to say you do all this stuff really well and i want you to learn other stuff so yeah, like to just be honest i would really like to yeah. see you try this and, and it's not going to be it's not going to look as good as what you're doing now but yeah. let let's stretch your wings and let me help you learn another you know another skill uh but yeah i don't i've never understood the you know trashing what people are doing i think there's two kinds of artists in art school there's talented artists who need instruction and guidance and that's why they're there and there's people that want to be artists who really are never going to make it uh, sadly i mean that's just the, the reality of it uh, and and it seems like these these professors are just kind of teaching them all the same like we're just trying to get you to you know to to, to the next class or, or whatever I don't, I don't know i've 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 been in art classes in college i've, you know, I've been around that a lot and there's some great professors that that do really amazing work and but there's so many that that like your experience and I know a lot of other artists that were just like you know they trash me and every time when I was in uh, college I, I did art minor and I was you know doing stuff that was that I liked and I had a couple of professors that were no like we're not even going to accept this <laughs> you cannot draw uh, you know a becomes like a weird like, power struggle sometimes doesn't it like I remember yeah. that that's how it felt to me sometimes like a like an arm wrestling match with with somebody who just didn't want me to win, you know? And it's like, 
And then when I graduated, I was like, wow, I've become really good at sensing what my art teacher is going to say. And then I quickly found out that that is like not a skill that's translatable to the real world, you know, because like you never have to deal with him again. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like this is. This only works in this particular situation and no other situation. Yeah, because like I never had a client after that who would just like, like my art teacher had a way of delivering criticism that was like offloading deep frustration onto whatever wow. I had done. And no, it was really okay. Like he, it's like I had a story, uh, my, my, my graduation animation, and it was like this kind of dreamscape kind of weird story where this character gets like immersed into this strange world but it's actually like kind of corporate dystopian vibe that it's supposed to have and at the end like that world disappears and she's like and then it goes to the logo uh of the corporation it's all you know many layers of meaning there but uh my teacher was like this is too you know you're not making a statement here and I was like well how what what kind of what do you mean like how would you want me to make a statement what do you have in mind and he was like animation students just never make a statement you know they just always have these middle endings that are just like they're just wow. like in the middle and they don't have the guts to really say anything with their work and I'm sick of it you know and I was like okay you know I needed to take a break after that I was like all right I need to give myself some days to like let this settle down and figure out what he meant <laughs> and then I and then because of what he had said I changed the ending and it became a way better ending and everybody was like whoa you know people who watched the animation were like wow that ending really drove home because there's like a moment where she kind of like wants the world to come back and she's afraid she's like oh no this is over and then the opportunity to experience it again happens and that really resonated with people right so he did achieve his goal like he pushed me to think of something better but he had like a huge speech about how all animation students are like too afraid to make a statement and I, that was like a lot to a lot to process sort of how wow. things went <laughs> I had a really good bond with my teachers I do have to say like I I talk negatively a lot about how they teach because it's the opposite of how I teach and it's the opposite of my values but by the time that I left I was on really good terms with them and and I I still think very fondly of the time that I had at that school but I still I just remember feeling like I just got so good at understanding them and yeah. and it just didn't matter after that because they just weren't in my life anymore yeah so it's like okay i, I know how to solve this problem now let me yeah. move, move on to the uh, to the next problem um yeah. now, now something um that uh, that i share in common with you uh and i was uh wondering how this uh, might have uh, influenced the work that you do or even better the way that you work is um when i was um uh, younger uh, my dad was uh, was military, and we moved to a different place every uh, um, three to four years. Where you know, just whatever friends you have, just erase them, and now we're going start to over another, <laughs> and you start from scratch. You know, yeah. uh, over over and over again for um for for me because everything changed constantly drawing was uh something consistent you know it's it's like i could no matter where we went no matter what was going on uh i could you know somehow get a hold of a pencil and a piece of paper and i was fine you know i i could i could draw and not only that but drawing allowed me to very quickly be able to make new friends and, and stuff like that but it was also something 
that allowed me to be comfortable being on my own. Uh, and, uh, and I was wondering, uh, because you moved all over the place and very dynamically uh, kind of uh, growing up, I mean, different uh, countries, different languages and, and all that stuff. Um, do you think that that had um, uh, an influence on you becoming an artist? Uh, it's interesting because I never actually thought about the use of artistic skills as a way to like easily meet people and as a way to like have something consistent when things are changing a lot. And I, yeah. I think it's, I've never reflected on that, but when you said it, I thought well, that's it's the same for me. Like that's how I labeled myself, you know, I would go to a new middle school and I'd be like, I'm an artist, you know, I draw and ah. I'd bring my sketchbook to school and people would be like, oh, Lois draws, you know? And that's, yeah, was my, yeah. that was my identity. It was like a very easy way for me to, you know, kind of show people who I was. So, and that did, did play a role. Um, and I think, I think it did have an influence, especially if I compare sort of the schools that I went to, to the kind of culture and education here in the Netherlands, because that's where I would have grown up if we hadn't moved around. If, in the Netherlands, there's a culture of like, don't, um, don't show off too much, you know, <laughs> like, wow. be normal. So what is this something Dutch people say a lot. Um, we have a thing called sesjeskultur, which means like here we, we grade on a one to 10 scale. Um, and six is uh, enough, like a six, you just pass. And a lot of people aim for the six. Like if you're oh, wow. aiming for, yeah. When I explain that to Dutch people, I'm like, no, in, in, in America, you go for the A. Like A <laughs> yeah. is what you must do. Like if you have a C on your report card, that's bad. You know, a C is a pass, but it's not good. Yeah. And, but here in the Netherlands, they have a thing where like, if you pass everything with a six, it's, it's okay. You know, they, they think it's kind of messed up if you put way too much effort into like getting the top grades. They're like, wonder if you're, wow. you have a good yeah, work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> so like here, a lot of artists, I noticed that when I went to art school here in the Netherlands, that was like, I was born in the Netherlands and we moved away when I was four to the United States. And then after that to Indonesia and Belgium and uh, France and then Belgium. And then I came back to the Netherlands for school, for animation school in 2005. And I really noticed that, you know, my fellow classmates struggled a lot with like being into drawing and art and, and really enjoying it, but not being that encouraged to strive wow. for excellence in their lives. Like just kind of being a big fish in a little pond. Like a lot of them were like good in their town or good in their family. And then yeah. they never really like aimed for, or they weren't encouraged to aim for higher, you know, even though that was their ambition. And I, I just noticed that they're, you know, I know a lot of really talented artists. There's a lot of incredible talent in the Netherlands, but it's not always encouraged. And yeah. we also have a saying called Old uh, Nederlands Goed, which means um, good in a, like non-Dutch way. Like if you're a Dutch person and you're really good, they're like, whoa, you're, you're, you're almost like not Dutch and how good you are because the kind of striving for excellence is not seen as a Dutch character trait. Um, That's hilarious. So I, yeah, it's, it's very, yeah, I find it very calming. That's why I live here. Like everybody's just like, you Chill. know, middle of the line. You know what I mean? Oh, like man. people don't get too extreme in their emotions. Like showing a lot of emotion in public is not really considered like, it's kind of not done. 
And, um, you know, people are happy with the small things. Like we have a lot of people working part-time and then just spending the rest of their time, you know, having a happy life, like chilling wow. in the chilling in the park or whatever, you know, if you can live off well, of like that, that, does, that does sound like, man, that would be so, you would be so happy in that situation. Whereas uh, living living here, it might just be me, but I am I am constantly in a pitched battle against how much I suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Americans are. I mean, when I go to the U.S., I just that's what I get is that Americans are very um, ambitious, you know, and ambition is rewarded and like seen as an incredible trait and there are people who want to work less but then they don't even say like well i'm going to tone it down and work less they just say like i'm going to strive even harder for my six hour work week or whatever and they turn it into like a lifestyle concept you know what i mean it's like it's a different attitude towards the same end goal whereas in the netherlands we're just like oh you don't have to do everything you know you don't have to always like push yourself oh, yeah, um, yeah. And, and for, for artists, I think, you know, striving for to be the best artist you can be is like an essential part of being an artist of any level, really. It's like always wanting to be better and improve. And that sometimes clashes a bit with how Dutch people are raised to think or how they are supported, you know, in their immediate environment. Like how much do their teachers and their, their family members and their peers like push them to be better? Um, and that doesn't happen as much here. So I think if I had, if I, I think going to these international schools that I went to and, and having some formative years in the United States really put it in my mind to always strive for excellence and always push myself further. And I'm very self-disciplined when it comes to yeah. well, maybe like you wanting to get better. You know, the, you got the, the just here long enough to get some yeah. good stuff. Yeah, I get the best of both worlds, right? Because yeah. I strive for excellence, yeah. but I get to relax a lot too. <laughs> yeah, you're not obsessed with it. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, you're, you're making me think I should retire in the uh, in the Netherlands now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah you could do that. Although, you know, it has a lot of downsides too. Like it's, it's, a, it's a very like love-hate relationship I think that everybody has with with the kind of it sounds like a paradise like I see these videos come by sometimes on like American YouTube channels where they're like in the Netherlands there's like they work way less and they value their free time more and everyone has a bike and they present it like it's like some kind of utopian society and they're like they're always like Dutch children are the happiest children on earth you know but then like when you live here there's a lot of like I don't know uh, conformism that's very intense like you're expected mm. to be like other people like uh, they say, um, uh, what do they say? Like that you shouldn't uh, stick up above the field, you know, because then you get like uh, yeah. <laughs> a, you know, something like it. I'm translating this very badly, but like if you stand out too much, you know, um, then you, you know. So you you all kind of have to be the same. There's like an intense amount of conformism, and there's a lot of deeper issues like you know, regarding equality and regarding like, you know, female work participation that like is not discussed enough because like people in the Netherlands are like, oh, why do we have to discuss these yeah. topics? You know, and it's like, we do yeah. have to discuss these topics. like ruining my Netherlands dream. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like kind of in between, right? Cause like, I'm always kind of happy with the Netherlands cause I chose to live here. But as a semi outsider, I'm very happy to bash the Netherlands as well. Cause I'm always like, I lived outside of this country and I know that it doesn't have to be this bad you know and I'm always 
like putting it down. I have very mixed feelings about my home country. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I, I feel I feel your pain because like the the people that are best at putting the uh, the states down are the people that live here. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like when you live there, you're like you're like it's safe. it's like. I, I just, I'm so sick of my country and I hate it, but it's my country and I love it. It's like that feeling that you get. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brian and I are both from the South. So you know, we bash where we live, but yet still love so much. Like, you know, Southern culture is, there's a lot wrong with it, uh, but there's also a lot of really good people that you just don't, you know, you don't think about when you think about the South so, so much. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's like, I've left here. I left, uh, you know, lived in New York. I've been around, you know, and I came back because at the end of the day, you know, it's still comfortable. I don't know that I will stay here forever, although I'm 50, so I probably will uh, at this point. Um, but, you know, it, it, there's, I think that's with everywhere you live. I mean, there's nowhere that's perfect. Uh, at least yeah, I you got to make a lot of concessions, right? No matter yeah. where you live. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It, it's like, um, you know, the, when, when actors, you know, sort of talk about what happens backstage. <laughs> it's just like, what's on the stage is awesome. It's all the yeah. stuff backstage. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whenever we, whenever me and um, me and my partner, Arian, we visit the United States, like we go to LA usually once a year for like events. Mm -hmm. And we're always like sad to go home again because we love the United States so much. Like it's so, um, it's like intense. And I don't think I could live because Arian's like, I found a house in LA. I found it on this website. You can buy it. Maybe we should buy a house in LA. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, I love going there, but like living living in 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 such a big city in America seems like it would be, like you would be constantly uh, pushed to you know to do more. Like, I feel like everyone in LA is always like working so hard. And I can imagine like if you lived in a big city and then you go to the South, right? Like, I don't know if I'm correct in this, but it feels like the South would probably be more like kind of low-key yes. pace of living that like that must yeah. feel so refreshing if you've been like in a big competitive city with a lot of like input and competition yeah it's, it's like i like yeah. our pace you know we kind of we're not as as rigid about um just everything in, in, as you are if you live in a in a, in a giant city um yeah. you know we like to, to enjoy the the good food and and the you know the nice weather when it when it is nice here it's actually usually just too damn hot but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah it's definitely slower paced now one thing i did want to this actually makes me think back uh when we first uh i guess it was what september of last year maybe um, oh gosh I was trying to think that the, the the I remember some of these dates very specifically. I should have gone back and looked, but I th we had a um, a comic. Uh, this is how I, I met Lois uh, online, at least through the internet. Um, I reached out to you because we were we were doing this book called Yumi, and it was um, a really cool, fun, female centric with a you know real uh, a cool you know cool style, fun story, whatnot. And the artist guy named Hoyt Silva. Uh, we put a list together. All right, who, who do we want to go out to for some covers? Because we were getting ready to do this Kickstarter, and and um, he, you know, you were on the top of his list. So I was like, well, you know, I'll reach out, and you know, who knows? I know she's super busy, and I don't know if it was uh, this actually makes me think of another another part. Uh, Doug Wagner, who's the writer, he had already gotten a cover from Aliza uh, Ivanova, uh, who he was kind of friends with, and so when I sent an email, you know, to introduce who who I was in the company, and and I had I think her cover 
uh, as part of the like a JPEG in the in the email and a, a link to the book, and you, and just said, hey, we'd love for you to do a cover, and you hit me back like immediately. And I think I think your uh, response was, oh, I love Eliza, you know. So I, you know, so I, that <laughs> yeah. man, I think, she's you know, one of my favorite artists like ever. Yeah. yeah so I, I, we were I, we were lucky, I think, probably that we had that cover. But uh, you know, then you you looked at the book and you said, yeah, this looks really fun. I'd love to do it. And I'm pretty sure it was like September 1st. And you said, um, but my schedule is pretty booked for the rest of the year, you know, if, if you can wait until then. And so, so yeah, you know, we can wait. Uh, we were actually planning to like launch in February. We were gonna do this thing around Valentine's Day. And you came back to me and you said, uh, okay, I can get you a couple of thumbnails on like December 28th. <laughs> yeah. and on December the 30th, after you've approved one, I'll, I'll send you a rough of the, of the drawing. And then on January the 5th, I'll give you the final cover. And that, I've been doing this for 17 years. That blew me away that you had those dates and then you met them. Like it was- yeah. it, yeah, You're, you're gonna to need to stop doing that because that just makes the rest of us look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you've made the rest of the comic book industry look like they're uh, you know from the Netherlands. Because <laughs> you're completely fine with a six out of ten when it comes to scheduling. You, you know, the the guys will say, "Oh, look, I'll be free in three months. I can work you in." But you know, you're you're figuring that's probably means five months before it's going to happen or whatever. Is that just something that you were just self-driven to you know be on time and, and make meet your deadlines, or was that something you figured out? And and if you did, how in the hell did you do it so that we could share that with all the artists listening to us today? <laughs> That's that one of your tutorials. <laughs> yeah, yes. actually, a lot of people have asked me about that. I, I do have like a kind of a long-term goal, like a wish to write like a productivity and self-help book for artists one day, uh, talking about these topics. I could talk about it for hours. Um, but yeah, like I used to be quite- sound weird together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do. Self-help for artists. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I'm really into self-help books. That's sort of why it's like a secret passion of mine. Uh, not so secret, actually. I talk about it in literally every podcast I've been interviewed in. But um, yeah, I love self-help books. And I I, um, I learned a lot about uh, scheduling and productivity from a very specific book that is not available in English just yet. Um, yeah. But it's in Dutch. It's being translated into English um, called Grip. And it's just about like how you can plan your time to you know, to meet your goals, basically, and to be as efficient as possible and to not be burdened by the most annoying tasks, you know, that you you don't get around to doing. So I kind of like eased myself into being a freelancer. You know, I graduated in 2009 and I was like, all right, I'm going to be a freelancer. Like, all right, let's see what happens. You know, I had no long-term goals of what I wanted to do specifically. So I was like open to anything. And I was really, yeah, pretty chaotic at that time. Like I you know, didn't have next week planned even, you know, I didn't have like any idea of how I was going to fill up my time. So whenever somebody emailed me like, hey, do you have availability this week for this thing? I'd be like, sure, you know, because I just had the time. And, um, and I also just like answered my emails once every three months or something. I got yelled at by wow. angry people <laughs> who were like, why did you wait three months to answer my email? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, Let's do the best I can. Um, really hated that stuff you know a lot don't I don't still don't pick up my phone if it's not a number I don't know so I'm not like a natural when it comes to communicating 
Um, but then like over time, uh, so I, it got to the point where I got like these bigger clients and then it would be like a two month commitment or like two or three month commitment. They'd be like, all right, can we get you for this, you know, block of time? And I'd be like, okay. And then there would be like some months in between or some weeks in between. And I would fill that up with my personal art. And then it got to the like gradually. So that was like after about four years, you know, being a freelancer, like I started getting these longer commitments that were like, and I'd have to turn a lot of people down because I'd be like, well, I have no availability for the next three months because I'm like working with this one, one specific client who wants me to do this one project. Um, and then it got to the point where like over time, let's say after like, how long have I been a freelancer now? 11 years. So like, let's say after like about three or four years ago, it got to the point where like my schedule was just always full. Like I, I just oh, had wow. a lot of client work. I had, I had a lot of returning clients, you know, like a lot of like with Lego, I would work with them like four times a year for like a couple months at a time. That's, that's and I had, really cool. Yeah, it was great. Like we, you know, it was just really good working relationship and they kind of like knew what to expect from me and I knew what to expect from them. And I, I do prefer to work that way when it comes to client work. I like to work with people that I've worked with before that we've kind of like, because establishing that relationship with a client is something that takes time and energy. You know, usually yeah. I, I, when it comes to like a concept, like if somebody comes up to me and is like, Hey, could you do some concept art for this game or this, you know, idea that we have, I usually say like, all right, well, let's just do a couple days to start and you guys can see how I work and, and I can sense how you respond to the feedback and we can see if there's like a connection there. Like if we sort of are, have a good symbiosis, you know, like if the feedback comes in, there've been some clients that I've worked with where it was like clearly not a match, you know, like I wasn't yeah. able to kind of visualize what they wanted. So it's always good to test that a couple days and then we get into it. And then by the time that that relationship has been established, like I'm really comfortable in that. And, and they usually come back after a while for more work. So that's the kind of stuff that I really like to do. But then because of that, my whole year was full and I just didn't have any time for personal art. Like all my personal art just disappeared. Or when I had time, it would just be like to really, you know, just finish something really quick. And I didn't have the time to really think and reflect on what I wanted to do. Um, and then I was, you know, always struggling with email and uh, thinking about getting like a personal assistant or something. I was like, how do I keep up with this? And then I read that productivity book and it was like, cause I was talking to, I was venting to a friend of mine. I was like, I'm not, I'm, I just can't keep up with things. You know, like I'm always just, buried under a bunch of stuff and I feel like my own like what I want to do is like last priority and I I would always start work late and then finish work like really late in the day like eight o'clock in the evening or something you know and then still like and I feel like I never had time for anything so I got to a point where I was venting about that to a friend and she was like just read this book you know shut up and read the book and then I did that and it, it was all a lot it was a lot about um like planning, like putting everything in a to-do list, first of all, which is like obvious, right? But the way that it's explained is like, get it out of your head. And when you put something on a to-do list, like actually do it. Like, don't just keep a long to-do list of tasks that you keep moving forward, right? Yeah, when you get to and then, page one is still like only half checked off. You yeah, not exactly. Them. You have to like actually do them. And then step two is like plan your week. You like have like recurring things that you do. So now I check my email every morning. And because of that, like I'm never behind. Like I'm always just, and it was like, I really could not, I could not figure out how to manage this thing. It was like a monster in my head. But then once I started just checking the email about 
well, 15 minutes to half an hour every morning and like writing back right away and not just like delaying everything. I actually managed to get it done. And I was like, oh, that's like the easiest solution I could have thought of. It was really embarrassing to realize that like I had not been able to keep up with this thing and that the solution was to just do it every day. That's crazy talk. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not, no, but it's really easy. And, and now I do a thing, which I think, I think this one's really, cause I know that this is, like all very obvious, but the thing that really made a difference is a thing called weekly reviews. So every Monday I do a review of the previous week and oh. I look at that to-do list. I look at the tasks that didn't get done and I kind of think about why didn't they get done? You know, like, is it something I really wanna do or do I have enough time for that? And I also just like look at what went well and what didn't go well and what are my main goals for this coming week? And that always helps me to kind of like figure out how, how I'm gonna actually get stuff done. And then I also have like my year planning and that's where that whole thing about the Yumi cover came in. Like I, every, I have like a, uh, like a year schedule and I block in like, all right, this week is for this client and this week is for my Patreon work, for example, and this mm, week wow. is for my art book. And my whole year gets planned out. Like, my, my whole year is full until like 2022 at the moment, actually, because yeah. like if you have like, um, you know, cause I spend a certain amount of time every month on my Patreon. So that already like cuts my availability down enormously. And then I have like events that happen every year. So if I'm going to travel to like LA for an event, you have to plan like the event, but also like many days before and after for like the jet lag and the travel and all the other stuff. And so that every year that fills up really fast too. And then I've got a couple of clients who are like, we need you in October or whatever. So I plan that ahead. And within no time, like it's full. And that's, that's how I knew that I had those exact days available. Cause I, I just looked at my year schedule and I was like, yeah, around the holidays, I can work a little bit. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, I hope that when that, uh, when it hits English language version, Please uh, email oh, me yeah. in the morning emails so I can buy that. <laughs> yeah, it is such a good, you know what it is? It has the Dutch mentality. It's very down to earth. It's very like, all right, you, you know, you want to do your things, just do them, you know, like commit to them. And it has like very um, like clearly written out and planned out ways of keeping up with schedule. I, I fear I might be ranting out on about this a little too long because I like this is just something that I can nerd on about like well, it's, a, it's a actually long amazing <laughs> I mean seriously like uh yeah, I was just to say I mean to, to me it's amazing because I think uh you know this from somebody who makes comics but also is is good friends with a lot of comic book artists um uh and writers too but I, I see a lot more with, with the artists and, and and I will also say I completely sympathize I know how hard it is to try to create a page you know of artwork every day or four days a week or, or whatever you you know the requirement is for the project that's not an easy thing to expect somebody to just every morning be able to do. Uh, but the biggest problem that everybody always says is, you know, I just, I couldn't draw today. I couldn't draw this week. This thing happened. And therefore my whole week was messed up. I didn't get the covers yeah. done, whatever, you know? And I think that, that stuff like this, I'm not a, personally, I'm not a huge uh, self-help book guy. And maybe that's because here, the way they're pitched in the States are more like, you know, you're awesome and you deserve everything to be awesome. And if you'll just give me some money, I'll show you how to be awesome. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. this is kind of cool. The fact that it's just like, hey, this is a, a really cool structure and way that, that that works because I need help with that too sometimes myself. But for the, so many artists, like if, if, if they could just 
kind of incorporate just the email part every day. Uh, yeah, especially like we're just as artists nowadays, you have to do so much of your own work. Like you have to manage your own career, at least yeah. in my case, you know, because I, I do everything myself. Um, I had an agency for a while, but I wasn't into it. And and I, I, I like to just have one-on-one -on -one contact with the clients, you know, because it's so important. Like I explain to feel a click, you know, in each other's way of working. So I do that myself. I do my social media on my own as well. So I'm basically doing like a lot of like secretary and, and marketing tasks alongside the art. And, and I feel like if you can plan that out, it's so much easier, especially also with social media. I just have like Friday afternoons, I plan out my social media posts for the week after, and then I post them and it's so easy. You know, it, it sounds so like simple, but it made a huge difference when I started implementing that because it made, it freed up time for me to focus on drawing. And I realized that like, you can't just sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to spend an hour drawing. Like drawing is something that you need time to like get into it and let your mind wander. And you need to think about what you want to do and your intuition plays such a big role. So you can't just like plan that in the same way that you plan the emails. You need to actually like have headspace free when you draw yeah. and, and keeping up with these tasks in a routine, like in a sort of planned and scheduled way, it frees up like my mind as well as my time, you know, for drawing. Well, that's that. I think is is the interesting thing because a lot of a lot of the creative work of drawing, there's a, I think there's a lot of magical thinking and and the difference between the ether of oh that's going to take me this long and the reality of how long it actually took you, <laughs> um, having that like review time, where after a while you start to realize, no, you think it's taking you this long to do this, but it actually takes you this long. So yeah. in the future, plan this much time instead of that much time. Exactly. That's what that's one of the things in the book as well. It's like just plan time for stuff, like just put it in your agenda. Like say, like, all right, three hours for this. And then if you spent more time than that or less time, you address that in your weekly review. Like you look at it, you're like, oh, I actually needed way more time to do that one task. And then you take that with you into the future. And with drawing, it's it's, it's just so, like a, a superpower to be able to know yeah. how much time you need to finish something because, and including like, you know, leaving some space for like adjustments or saying like, well, I'm not into this. I'm going to try a different direction. You know, you need to like, if you can plan that out, then you can like, you give honest answers when people are like, all right, how much time do you need to do this thing? You know, and you can make that actually happen. And then the more professional you are in that, the more your clients like remember, you know, because- Otherwise, I wouldn't be having this conversation with Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and and by the way, um, that that cover you completely killed that cover. I mean, that was Thank just you. that was so so spot on to the um, to the uh, the feeling and the uh, and the storytelling and the uh, in the book as well. So uh, so I really love what you did with that. Thank you. Wow. And it is it is always a, a little bit tricky to kind of go oh love this artist's work, get them to do a cover. And then the cover they turn in is just like, oh my God, that's, that's more than what, uh, what you wanted. And, uh, and we've, we've been really lucky with that uh, um, so far with the, uh, the artists that we've hired to, uh, to do stuff. And, uh, and, and yeah, that, I, I, you know, even before the interview, I took another look at that cover and I was just like, man, she destroyed that. 
that was awesome. Yeah, it was a great cover. And, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, it's funny, you reach out to people all the time. And, and, you know, some people like I even I know them, I've met them, got their information, and I'll email them, call them crickets, you know, they don't, they don't ever respond. <laughs> Because they're, yeah. you know, people are busy and they're like, oh shit, I can't take on more work right now. And, and you know, some, something in this industry, I, I don't take it personally anymore because uh, it's just, it's just the nature of the game. You don't want to tell people no a lot of the time, especially somebody yeah. that you, that you do know a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's really cool when, when you shoot for the, for the moon uh, and, and then you, you hit it and then it actually works out. So, uh, and I know that uh, like Hoyt was just, uh, I don't know, has he ever, has he come down yet, uh, Brian, or is he still floating in, around Atlanta? No, no, no. <laughs> he <laughs> was still really walking around in a day. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one of the things, uh, and, and we usually um, kind of uh, do this when we do our interviews, but, um, and, and I think particularly uh, for, for you, because I, I would imagine just from looking at your stuff, that probably at this point, a lot of your influences aren't necessarily coming from other artists, but it's probably coming from uh, photography and film and uh, and TV that um, that you're watching. And and I say that because a lot of the tricks with light and stuff that you're doing it's uniquely you. It's not even coming from other comic books or other artists. So, um, so like, is, is there like, um, like, and, and, and I think it, your, your stuff feels less like art and more like cinematography. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of wondering, does film have uh, a large influence in what you do? And, uh, and, is there particular shots in movies or is there particular uh, things that that really triggers your passion? Um, I'd say like, it's it's interesting because I don't get like direct influence from, from uh, film, from cinematography, but it's the way that cinematography can channel emotion that inspires yeah. me enormously. Um, and uses like color and composition to to get that mood across and the combination with music that I, resonates deeply with me because I do want my art like that is my main priority with my work is to get a feeling across and a lot of the time I'm listening to music and imagining images and movements when I draw um, and that I try to channel that into my work um so I wouldn't say there's like one specific you know kind of movie that uh has you know directly influenced me in that way but it's like the feeling like the, it's the same kind of like language of emotion that inspires me enormously and yeah photography as well definitely nature around me too because like what really drives my work these days is doing studies and doing like um Oh, wow. Yeah, like getting a photo and, and trying to mimic it, you know, but like in a time efficient way so that it doesn't become like a copy and stuff like that, you know, trying to capture emotion that I felt when I saw something, you know, that that's like a huge motivator for me. And there are a lot of 
yeah, there are a lot of movies. Like the first thing I, I was thinking about as you were saying that is the movie Moonlight, the way that Moonlight uses oh. lighting and kind of poetic imagery and like introspective yeah. moments to tell that story. Um, and the way that it's like the story of a person's emotions, um, that kind of stuff stays in my brain. Like it nestles in. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, yeah, it's 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 something that I, that I can see. It's um, because I think I think the moments that you choose to illustrate are often the the moment of change. You know, either the moment of change in the viewer or the moment of change in the character, where there's you're you're catching the bloom of the moment um, in a in and 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 I think it's especially. Uh, effective in a lot of the um, the the female drawings that you do. There is there is this oh a change just happened and I'm catching the moment that that change is uh, is uh, is starting to bloom and that's incredibly uh, cinematic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's that's a huge compliment because I always try to try try to capture some movement in in my art. Um, I want it to feel like it is between a moment or like that you can picture the next step or the previous step in the movement. But yeah, yeah I think that that's something my work is pulling more towards because when I look at my older stuff, you know, like a lot of my my motivation is also to just make something cute and pretty. You know, I, I really like yes. this, the, the aesthetic the, joy of that kind yeah, of stuff. But like, it's about the technique, it's about the drawing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But I have, I am moving more into like environments and settings and more like um, moments kind of stuff. Uh, just trying to get my skill level like up to up to speed to be able to do more like uh, scenes. You know. And that's something that I yeah. aspire to get better at in, in the coming years. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, to me, that, that's, the, um, that's the interesting thing is, um, is uh, and, and I, I'm a broken record on this, but, uh, but I think, uh, think skill set is, is a tool, you know, and, it, and it's just the tool. And, and you, can, you can collect tools all day long, but um, when you actually start using those tools to create those those moments of emotion, you know that's when when you sort of graduate from being uh, uh, an artist into being a storyteller. You know when when someone actually looks at your work and and not necessarily. I mean the the technique is the second thing they see. You know, the, the skill set is the second or third thing they see. The thing that they first see is the emotion of, of, of that, that moment that you've uh, sort of choreographed uh, for them. It's like, that's, that's what I really get into uh, is, is when, I, when, when I am transfixed by what an artist is saying, and then I have to stop myself and kind of go, okay, let me go back and see what they did. <laughs> you know, yeah, but, yeah. You want the message to be the, you want the message to deliver, and then, and then the rest to keep you to keep you looking hmm. for longer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and 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 that's that's the thing is is like, if if an artist has affected me and and I'm feeling that emotion, um, that's the part where I kind of go, damn it, 
why am I feeling this? And then I'll, I'll go back and I'll kind of start looking at their color composition and, and looking at uh, like all, all the all the parts, you know, it's almost like, okay, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to be amazed by the flavor of the food before I start going, hmm, was that cinnamon or nutmeg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that made this. And, uh, and, and I think um, what's really cool is seeing your work develop over such a period of time. It's, uh, it's, it's really fascinating that I think, I think a long time ago, you probably reached your limit as far as skill set is concerned. Um, but now you're really using those tools to craft just these in, incredibly uh, beautiful uh, moments. Uh, and and uh, a lot of times they're kind of um, voyeuristic in a way. You know, where you're you're seeing you're seeing just such a special moment that you shouldn't even be there watching. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I really uh, love your ability to create those moments. Thank you. Yeah, I always try to because um, one of my goals with the character art that I make is that I want the characters to look like they're comfortable where they are, like that they're comfortable with who they are and that they're comfortable where they are and that you can and that you're getting to see that. So I'm, I'm glad that that's what, what you see in it because that means that it's working. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, and, 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 it's, and it's definitely there. And, and, and it's, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of cool because my, uh, my partner and I, we, uh, we, we went to, to Spain and, and we're both like insane Joaquin Sorolla uh, fans. And, uh, and we went to Madrid, went to his, uh, his house and uh, it's almost like we had to view the whole thing twice, you know, where where it's just like, okay, let's just let's just walk through as an experience, you know, and just just experience everything and and who we are as artists and and all of that. Let's just leave that at, at the door and just enjoy these moments. And then when we're finished with that, let's go back and put on our artist hat and go yeah. through you know, pick apart his brushwork and uh, it's, it's really cool to see, um, you know, someone chase that, you know, not just, oh, I want to be the best artist possible, but no, 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 I, I have a story that I want to tell and I need to develop the skills that allows me to do that. Yeah, and I get that. So, it's like two different ways of looking at things, the technical side and the emotional side. Yeah, yeah. And and I think as 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 an artist, I, I I have a bad habit of, and and actually Hoyt Hoyt said this in a in a, in a great way. He said um, he said that I I oftentimes look at other artists, and I'm enamored by their skill set, uh, and I always want to, you know, I consider people better because they have this great skill set. But a lot of times, what I have to think about is, will that flower even grow in my garden? <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, who am I as an artist first? And that's what's most important. And should I be looking at this other artist as inspiration or just plain entertainment? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I get it because like you can't be the best at everything, right? And like there are people who have become like sort of experts in their own field. Yeah. 
And then as an artist, you look at that and you're like, I want to be able to do that. But then it's not always <laughs> the most useful thought. Like it's not always the most helpful idea to think like, all right, I shouldn't become good at photorealistic aliens too. You know what I mean? Like might not help you in your journey, but you feel it as an artist, you know? You, you're like, I want to absorb those skills too. <laughs> I want to see your photorealistic alien now. <laughs> But you know what I mean, right? Like people that are so far out of your own area of expertise and you love it, but it's like, and you want to be able to do it, but it's also like not in any way, the more that you develop your skills and your voice as an artist, the more you have to admit that certain skill sets and certain voices while being beautiful and while you appreciate them might not fit into what you're doing, you know? Yeah. And or it might not help you. Like it might be fun to try to do those things or learn those skills, but it might not help you on your specific journey, especially if you work as a commercial artist, you know, there's not like all the space oh, yeah. in the world, but it is sad. Cause like when you're younger, you think like I can learn anything. And then as you get older, you're like, well, do I want to learn everything? That's how <laughs> yeah. I, that's how I'm yeah, experiencing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, it's, and I, I think it's, I think it's really, it's really cool. And, and I don't know if it's a, if it's a, a conscious thing or a subconscious thing, but, um, but I think it's, it's, it's really fascinating that you were able to um, at least get to hearing your own voice pretty early on. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of artists don't, don't get to their own voice until, well, some never, <laughs> you know, but uh, you got to your to your voice, and I think you've been able to uh, chase it for uh, for for a long time, and and, and develop it and 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 refine it, uh, and uh, and that's you know as as another artist, that's just it's it's so amazing to uh, to see that and, uh, and 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 watch that happen. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, since you are a person that schedules her uh, her life, I I want to talk to you all day about this stuff. <laughs> you know? but, uh, but it's probably um, you know sort of a a, a good idea for us to uh, to all get get back to the work and the emails that we have to answer and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but really would love to to sort of hang out with you and uh, and talk shop uh, at a uh, at a convention. And, uh, and if, uh, if I'm gonna do something in the Netherlands or uh, Amsterdam or one of those places, I'll, I'm definitely going to be looking to yes. hang out. Yeah. Yes, in the post-COVID world, we can <laughs> yeah. finally hang out. <laughs> traveling a lot more. I used to travel, but only for work, it seems like. Like, I'm going to these cool places, but I'm there, I go in and I'm, I'm work, I do whatever, do all these meetings and hop on a plane and go back. Like, all right, I was telling my wife, like, we gotta start doing some more fun traveling. So, uh, yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna work at that convention when Brian goes over. I'll put that on my schedule. So, <laughs> keep her... do it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and you know, sort of just uh, um, you know, sort of to go back to a point, um, like uh, my girlfriend and I, we actually looked at a house <laughs> in the Netherlands, <laughs> you oh. know, and kind of went. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so that's uh, that's happening on both sides of the ocean. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so very much for listening to Shot by Shot with Lois Van Barl. Uh, we drank tea. There was little shotting because it was the morning for us and it was the afternoon in the Netherlands where Lois is, but it was still a raucous good time. Wouldn't you agree? 
Oh yeah, it was a blast. And this is our first jumbo sized episode. Nobody has to wait for the second part. This time. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back in a bit with another episode featuring somebody who has shown the breadth of comics and beyond. Uh, do you just want to say who it is, Kevin? Oh yeah, so why not? Let's, we just uh, did a great jam session with Derek Robertson of The Boys. And I don't know, we're trying to do all these interviews in one session, but I'm pretty sure he and Brian talk for a good two and a half, three hours. So I think this might be a two-parter. We'll see. We'll see, yeah. We'll see what your magic uh, magic edit button does to get it down. The magic edit button is uh, is coffee, and for Derek, it might be harder substances. <laughs> well, we appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we'll be back shortly. All right.